So um, bridling the tongue uh, is uh, where he's talked about last, controlling the whole body and consistency uh, of uh, conduct. And then he comes to verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, uh, do not boast and lie against the truth. So um, if you can recognize that there's there's bitty, bitter envy, self-seeking in your heart, then um, you, you shouldn't be presenting yourself as someone who is wise and understanding. You shouldn't be looking to, and he's going to get to, you shouldn't be looking to uh, try to function in a role of leadership. Uh, you know, if you struggle with these things, um, then, you know, allow the Lord to continue to work in your life. It's not, uh, you know, to say that you're not, you know, born again or, uh, you know, not a child of God. It's a matter of, you know, this idea of, you know, who who is wise and has understanding among you, let him show by his conduct, that consistency of example. And he's going to talk about that more. Um, so the bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, uh, demonic. So, uh, you know, I, I have a hard time with um, a lot of people that uh, claim uh, to have, you know, it used to just be individuals. Now they label themselves as ministries, discernment ministries, you know, and they go around and they, they find the flaw and everybody else and they're you know posting online and their blog and they just want the whole world to know you know how much they know and uh, you don't have to squint very hard to see that it's bitterness and envy and resentment you know, a lot of the time I mean I always appreciate it when somebody you know gives clear understanding to Christian doctrine lets us understand things that are important to the body of Christ but um, you know the the, the uh, you know when you're uh, filled with an envy for somebody else's success in ministry, and, you know I don't suffer from people attacking me this way very often. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying we see a lot of that in the Christian culture, uh, where where uh, you know people are you know basically trying to elevate themselves by putting others down. Um, you know by um, yeah I'm good brother. Thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, he's saying that wisdom, it isn't from God. It's, it's not something that the Lord is doing when that's our, that's our attitude and our conduct. It's earthly, sensual, demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Um, you know, I, I've uh, witnessed many times where, uh, somebody is, you know, bitter and envious and bad mouthing, and you know, then later we discovered that their whole life is full of junk. Uh, you know, these are, um, you know, demonstrations of what's actually going on in the heart. So, uh, in contrast, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace um you know making peace doesn't mean that we're always um uh you know pushovers um you know there there's a, a number of people right now inside Christianity that are upset over the fact that, you know, there are uh, individuals and groups that are standing up uh, to the sinfulness of governmental leadership. Um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the governor of this state uh, mandating, you know, the closure of churches and all the things that's going on. And, and, you know, stand up, oppose, uh, you know, uh, Calvary Chapel, Bangor, my pastor, Ken Graves, suing uh, uh, Janet Mills, um, you know, Janet Mills acting like that's, you know, all said and done. Um, the uh, Liberty Council filed 
uh, the appeal to the Supreme Court yesterday on that case. Again, uh, you know, the Mills administration wants to act like, oh, the fight's over. There's, you know, we're, the court case isn't even going to happen. We're not enforcing it. Well, uh, the Supreme Court has already, um, and you know, this really does pertain to what we're saying here. And I, I really want you to listen uh, to, to what's being said in the Word of God. Um, the Supreme Court has already uh, uh, judged in this principle uh, against Gavin Newsom, governor of California, literally not not just sort of figuratively, literally once he had even lifted the mandate, then they allowed for the proceeding of the court case saying that, no, he's demonstrated that he's willing to break the law. And so, therefore, they pronounce judgment because he's acting like, oh, I stopped enforcing it, so, therefore, um, you know, you don't have to take me to court. No, you've demonstrated that you're willing to break the law, so we need to put in place the correction legally so that you can't do this in the future because, you know, you have the next variant that comes around and they're like, oh, well, we've got to reinstitute the mandates and now everybody's on lockdown again. And, and so Liberty Council is taking Janet Mills to court again under that same principle. And they're all scrambling around saying, oh, you know, basically tongue in cheek, they're saying, please don't do this. We, we've already lifted the mandate. Well, right, but what happens next week, next month, next year, okay? You know, something that a lot of people aren't aware of, right? Um, you know, summer months, everybody's criticizing governor of Florida. Why? Because there's a rise in cases. Guess when everybody in Florida moves inside? August, right? When the heat is on, they stay inside and the cases go up. Guess when everybody moves inside in Maine? Right, winter, okay, and the cases go up. Of course, we're going to have these resurgences that the COVID's never going away. And we need to get rid of the mandates so that we can live as believers peaceably. Right? Being a peacemaker isn't always a peaceful process. Right? You, you've, you know, war generates peace when you're the victor <laughs> the other side of that is peace you know tyranny sinfulness our government leaders being lawbreakers right if, if you did this in your sphere of influence and you broke the law they would hold you accountable our our structure allows for us Hold them accountable. You're going to break the law? Then we have methods by which we can ensure that you stop breaking the law. They're difficult. They're painful. They're arduous to go through. It isn't sinfulness. It isn't, it isn't even really rebellion. What we're saying is stop rebelling. We're standing up and saying to the leaders, you're rebelling against the God-given laws that have been established. So, you know, we want to make sure that we don't have this pacifist attitude that allows for the advancement of our enemy's desires, right? Hell itself will advance upon us if we do not stand, if we do not resist. So, so make sure that you don't misappropriate this idea, you know, uh, We've been criticized as being selfish. You know, you've opened up your churches being selfish. Um, no, in fact, resisting is an act of selflessness. You know, this could literally potentially cost me my freedom. It could cost me monetarily uh, to to defy the sinfulness. You know, the lawlessness of leadership and their authority exerted upon me, upon us, uh, we could get in trouble with them. This this is not, you know, selfishness would hide, would cower in cowardice, would shrink away from the conflict. Th think of all of the occasions, the biblical examples that we have 
of those that stood defiantly, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, you know, you, you have Moses, you, you know, you have David, uh, you have uh, Daniel, you have Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know, you have John the Baptist, you have Jesus who, who confronted and, and to their own pain, to their own loss. So this sense, right, uh, you know, our culture has gotten this whole mentality that peacefulness is something akin to sedation, right? Just, you know, like, like, I like, there should be no trouble. I should just constantly be in this, like, clouded state of softness. No, there's, there's going to be, uh, you know, a challenge. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, you know, making peace in the midst of chaos and confusion is not always easy. You know, there's there's a there's a, a labor that's involved. There's sometimes a fight that is involved. So you, you you hear what I'm saying. The fruitfulness of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make like make peace. And you've got to enforce it. Have you right? Many of us in this room are parents, right? In the midst of the chaos of your home, have you ever had to make peace before? You know, gritted teeth. And raised voice to to bring peace to your house, to stop the fighting, to quell the conflict, right? Peace, peacemakers, right? And then once the peace is on, then we can all we can all enjoy, you know, that that uh, sense of quiet and enjoyment. Where do wars and fights come from? Maybe we've already covered this, uh, but uh, we'll go through it again. Uh, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members, in your body? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Um, you know, he's going to talk about if we ask, uh, here you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. We, we, um, you know, will exert ourselves uh, sinfully uh, to try and get what we want. And, you know, it creates conflicts. You know, marital conflicts are most often generated from this sense right here. Uh, selfishness that, that pushes for its desire. Um, you know, the, the great sense of um, being a servant to your spouse. You know, dying to yourself is, is what's going to accomplish those things. So so powerful a lesson to realize that where fulfillment comes from is in serving others. You know, when we spend the time trying to get our desires, it always results in a, a great uh, emptiness in our lives and uh, conflict, the wars, the conflict that arise. Don't have because you don't ask. You don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask wrongly, uh, incorrectly for for things that pertain to your flesh. Uh, you want something that the Lord doesn't want you to have. Um, often we learn that our desire is incorrect through the asking process. If if we will inquire of the Lord, uh, oftentimes. What we hear and learn over time is that the Lord is saying no to us and he's showing us something about ourselves. That, no, I don't want you to have that thing. Um, you know, I, uh, I've had more than one occasion where um, I've had young people come, and I've shared a little bit of this, but they've come and said, you know, I, I have a great desire to marry this person. And, uh, you know, usually they've developed that relationship very rapidly. They haven't spent the time to watch, examine, be critical of, and to consider. Um, I, uh, I've had uh, individuals that went ahead into those relationships and others. I'm uh, thinking of one who, uh, this young woman who my wife was discipling. She was sort of looking to me somewhat in a father role in her life and she came to me and said I'm thinking about you know developing a relationship with this person 
and uh, what do you think? And I said, ah, you're, you're out of your ever-loving mind. You know, it's just, just it's a bad idea. And uh, she was heartbroken because she'd already invested herself emotionally. I said, just watch. J just take the time. You, you haven't spoken to them. You, there's, there's been no interchange of emotion. I said, just back up emotionally and watch this person. And in particular, I, I encouraged her, watch how they treat the people that are closest to them. Watch how they, they, you know, the people who are investing in their life and doing the most in their life, watch how that person treats. I already knew. I already knew. And she was just sort of blinded by that pink cloud of love, you know. And uh, so she did. She backed away and she watched. And um, a friendship developed, but it was just a friendship. And then he made the push uh, uh, to basically ask for greater commitment. And um, by that time, she had come to realize his character, and she had to confront him and say, you know, there was a time where if you'd come to me, I might have, but I've watched how you treat the people who love you. And I can see that you, you don't have anywhere near the proper love and the respect that you should. So here she was praying, right, that she would have this person. Lord, put this person in my life. You know, build this relationship, make this thing. And when she took the time to listen, what she realized is the Lord was saying, I don't want you to have this relationship. You know, you ask amiss. You have, you don't have because you do not ask. And, and sometimes you've got to be prepared for that, right? You start asking. You need to be careful enough to listen to your Heavenly Father. And what is he actually saying? You know, because sometimes what he's saying is, I'm glad you asked. The answer is no. <laughs> you know, you got to learn some things about your own character. There's a lot being said by James right here in this moment uh, of you know how it is. And then four, it, it isn't a shift of gears. It's same subject matter, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, literally to be an enemy, as he says later here, with God? Whoever, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I know I've covered this already. Um, uh, five, or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace uh, to the humble. Uh, the, the church is very strongly engaged in trying to be friends with the world. Um, you know, trying to make itself appealing to the world. Uh, you know, just, just, you know, don't speak against homosexuality. Don't speak against sin. Don't, you know, just do things, you know, uh, even if you believe God created in six literal days, um, just avoid talking about it. You know, let the people who want to believe in evolution believe in evolution. Don't stir things up. Friendship with the world. Um, you know, it, it is necessary for us uh, to stand on God's word and, and to say the things of God's word that are perhaps uh, painful for people to hear and confrontational um, to uh, the world's way of thinking. And boy, if, if you haven't ever realized this before in your life, surely you must be realizing it now as you, you know, I was going to say read the newspaper, but who does that anymore? As you watch the news, as you read the news, uh, you know, the way that our culture is just disintegrating in front of our eyes. It, it isn't going to be through being kind and gracious and, and, you know, tolerant and all of these things that the world is trying to encourage. It is going to be through standing up and, you know, not necessarily being, you know, an aggressor, but uh, being strong, you know, foundationally and, and declaring right and wrong and truth. Um, I had a, a young woman uh, come to me last summer uh, after the morning service and, and say, uh, you, I, you know, she's almost like informing me, like I, you know, basically like how she was saying it was, I don't know if you're aware or not, but you can't say the things that you were saying this morning. You know, that, that, that's the theme of her presentation. And, um, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like all, you know, like I get where she's coming from and I'm trying to be gracious. And she just like goes really intense with, you can't say like, this is wrong and that's right. And, and, and she's coming at me from a Christian point of view. She's not even coming at me from like a sinful worldly point of view. She's coming from churches, from Christianity. And, you know, for the first time in her life, she's walked into a room where somebody just takes the word of God and makes the direct presentation of the thing. Uh, she, she, she told me flat out, I, I've been raised in churches. I've, been, I've never heard this in my life. I've never heard anyone do this. You know, and, and she's saying it to me from a tone of sympathy and help. And I'm saying, no, you don't understand. Like, you know, it's the exact opposite. And I, I actually, what I did was I took her uh, right uh, to Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. And, and there Matthew records that all of the crowd was astonished because he spoke to them as one having authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He spoke with an absolute truth. He spoke with it, but she, you know, she come from that college, you know, soft-handed approach to Christianity of tolerance, uh, where you know, to you know, it's really postmodernism. You know, she's functioning in a realm where there is no truth. You know, you have your truth, I have my truth. Everybody has, yeah. And uh, it was it was a new experience for her. Right? We we we, um, you know, need to understand that that friendliness with the world is super dangerous. You know, maybe those adjectives are just lost on you. I hope I'm probably not the few of us that are here this evening. It is really treacherous to begin down that course. It corrodes everything in the process and deteriorates God's truth. So, um, and, uh, you know, and then he roots the thing uh, in the relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit yearns for us. Um, I think I mentioned uh, this before about uh, it was uh, Oprah Winfrey who said that that is when she uh, she was raised in Baptist churches in the South. Uh, that's her confession. But she left Christianity uh, when she heard a preacher say uh, that God was a jealous God. And uh, so she, she at that point said that uh, she just knew she equated jealousy with sinfulness and, um, you know, didn't have the understanding, right? Any of us that are married, you should have a fervent jealousy for your spouse. You know, any of us that are parents, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll, you'll put up with a lot, but when your children are, you know, under threat, a reaction comes from you that, you know, many might even label as ungodly. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I, I think I've described to you an occasion where my daughter, um, she was she was driving. She's like a teenager. Had my big suburban. I was in our family's second vehicle. A whole bunch of us were going out for the evening, and she pulled into a parking space in a parking lot. I would say she w- she was going too fast. Um, and she stopped far too close to the brand new vehicle that had just parked right in front of her. And the woman burst out of the vehicle, just losing. It's got, it's got 30 day plates on the brand new pickup truck. Right. So, you know, okay. And, and you, and you turn around and there's a teenage driver. Right. And this woman just starts going off. And I, I stood for I was already angry, but I stood for a moment and I let it transpire uh, just so that my daughter could learn. Hey, you pulled in a little too fast. You got a little too close. This woman's not having it. She she wants to go to violence. She's losing her mind. Right. And I finally just jumped in between with, hey, you've made your point. Uh, and your vehicle wasn't hit. And she goes out around me for more attack on my daughter. You know, she hasn't touched her, but you can tell if my daughter doesn't handle herself right, this woman is going to get physical, right? I stepped right in 
between and went full volume and said, back off. <sighs> Not that politely. You know, stepped her back with my voice two or three steps. And just, she's still running her mouth and screaming. And I said, you can continue to scream, but do it as you walk away. Right? Jealousy for my young daughter. Well, we need to have the understanding that that in us is the character of God. He has a desire for us this way. Right? I mentioned when we brought this up before, uh, I'm sort of preaching the same sermon, but you know, Jesus saying, if you cause one of these little children to, who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better than a millstone be hung around your neck, you'd be thrown into the depths of the sea. Jesus loves you. Now, now fully accept that. Right? Because even, right, even if you're screwing up bad, Jesus loves you. Right? You should stop screwing up bad. Don't get me wrong. You should be obedient to your heavenly father, but he's probably, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, he's probably more upset with the spiritual influences and the things that are steering you off course than he is you. He, he wants to save you. He wants to uh, you know, rescue you from those circumstances. Don't go after the world. Don't be caught up in the things of the world. Don't become an enemy of God. His spirit yearns for you, jealously loves you, desires you, wants to be in a relationship with you. So very often our enemy convinces us that God hates us. You've messed up. You've been in the flesh for two, three days, weeks, months, and, and, and now God hates you. That's what your enemy will tell you. Right? Sometimes it's just your own flesh convincing you of that. And that's not how it is. I say again, he wants you to stop that junk. He wants you to leave those things behind. But you've got to understand the tearful heart of a father who wants repentance, wants the prodigal to come home, wants the relationship restored. The, 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 uh, you know, the, the spirit yearns jealously. Gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's really what it comes down to for us, isn't it? We know where the love of God is. It's in repentance. And so, if we're still floundering and failing in our walk, then darn it, the root of the thing is our pride. You gotta let go of your sinfulness. You gotta admit your wrongs. You gotta beg forgiveness, and you need to re return and restore your relationship with your heavenly Father. That requires humility. It requires humility, and He'll pick you right up. You know, He He will take you uh, to the place that you belong. Um, I've quoted my daughter Christian a couple times in her three, four, and five-year-old interpretations of songs. You know, we would be driving home from church. And I shared with you, she's in the back sing, seat singing, I am salty, you know, rather than I exalt thee, you know, saying that that blessed us, you know, because you're the salt and light of the world. Um, and we're driving home from church. She's not even five years old. She's, she might, I think she's about four. We're driving home and uh, she's in the back seat singing, Humble thyself on the side of the road, and he will pick you up. You know, humble, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And she's got a hitchhiker mentality. You know what I'm saying? If you just, if you'll just humble yourself on the side of the road, then he will pick you up. And uh, you know, I, you know, I, I was blessed by her her doctrinal integrity you know what i'm saying she she's understanding the grace of god uh in in a four-year-old way and uh the way that she uh you know just singing her heart out so if we will humble ourselves therefore submit to god resist the devil he will flee from you listen um there was a period of time when uh kingdom theology was very prominent um, in Christianity, it's still around, and you'll find pockets of it, but they're very strong. You know, we're going to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. We're 
children of the king. And once we have, then Jesus Christ will come back. So it's up to us. You know, we need to elect the right leaders and, you know, make the laws and just, you know, this mentality of we're, you know, more than conquerors in Christ and all this different stuff. And uh, they would often quote uh, part of this verse and say, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, uh, you know, talking about uh, I've seen pastors, uh, you know, when I was young in Pentecostal churches, you know, storming back and forth across the stage with their Bible in their hand, shouting at the devil, you know, devil, devil, I, I resist you, slew foot, I walk on you. And they're saying all these weird things. And just listen, um, you know, the devil is no joke. You know, Peter telling us, and he's like a roaring lion. Um, there's a lion that lives across the road in the zoo. And uh, when we first moved into this building 20 years ago, um, we would be like leaving church at night and he would roar over there. And he would shake the air. So how far away are we? You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's more than a quarter mile uh, from here to there. And his roar would shake the air. And, you know, I, I didn't know. We had just started uh, having services here. I didn't know that he's in the basement in a concrete cell with massive thick iron bars. Right? Um you step outside and you're just talking with your friend and a lion's roar shakes the air, you know, literally in your chest cavity, you feel that rattle and you think like, man, I hope he's confined inside that. <laughs> There's a moment where you're, you know, you're like, Hey, we, we should go. We, you know, I just, because the idea that there, you know, what if there's nothing between me and him right now? What, what if he's, you know, somehow escaped the confines of that zoo? That, that'd be serious business. You know, I wouldn't be out there, you know, saying vile things to, you know, you're just a lion. No, you know, I'm, <laughs> I am a man, you know, just back off. No, no. I'd be drawing near to the person with the firearm. You know what I'm saying? The one who has the ability to contend with. So so resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, wrong doctrine. Draw near to God first. The one who can contend with the devil. Then resist the devil as you are close to the Lord. Your strength and ability to resist the devil is contingent upon your proximity to God. You don't just get to, right? I mean, think about what the scripture tells us and warns us uh, that the false teachers, book of Jude, uh, speak evil of dignitaries, it says in the King James Version. That's spiritual authorities, they speak evil of spiritual authorities, right? And then the contradicting example, Jude tells us that Michael the archangel did not even dare to contend with the devil, but said to him, uh, a transliteration might be, uh, the Lord will deal with you. He didn't stand up and draw his sword and say, come on. You know, he, he said, you know what? God is going to deal with you. And that's where we need to be, uh, not in fear, right? There is a strength in this, but it needs to be that you understand the order of things is in the drawing near. Go to the strength-filled authority, draw near to him, and then in resisting the devil. If, if you just got that attitude, like, uh, yeah, I'm going to victory this time. I'll resist. You're probably going down. You're probably going down. Uh, you know, the, the, the spiritual entities that we contend with, the, the power that they have, that they wield, is, I mean, they're an, they are a being that's created on a higher plane. 
Well, you know, why would we even think that I have the strength within myself? You know, I've been walking with the Lord for X number of years, and boy, I'm just the strength I have today. Compared, yeah, right. Compared to where you were, sure, right. Uh, but now you got to realize who you're contending with. This is a species. This is a being that was created on another level. Just, you know, no matter how much you work out, no matter how much uh, you practice your wrestling moves, right? I mean, at no point are you going to be like, I could take a gorilla. You know, I mean, <laughs> really? You know, I mean, you're gonna now you're gonna contend with the devil, okay? Uh, you know, this this creature was apparently, from what the scripture tells, was the archangel at one time. We don't want to enter into direct conflict in our own strength. I'm not trying to give you, you know, the boogeyman story about that. What I'm trying to say to you is. I'm really trying to drill home the point of you need to get close to God. That That's where your victory is going to be found. Time in the word, time in prayer, worshiping him, studying, sharing, you know, knowing, being with him, abiding in him. That's where our strength comes from. It doesn't come uh, from our own person. Uh, the idea. Um, have you? Have you? Uh, I'll, I'll do it this way. Um, I, I've shared this before. My wife was with a group of women uh, from Calvary Chapel, Bangor, and a few ladies from here, and they were traveling down to Maryland uh, to go to a pastor's wives conference. And uh, as they're traveling, they're they're way down. Uh, I think in Maryland by that point. And uh, all at once, somebody says, spring of the year. And somebody says, oh, this is our exit. And they, oh, you know, 15 passenger van, oh, blinker on and get off. And they go. And they're like, you know, five minutes down the road. And somebody's saying, this is not looking right. And now they're 10 minutes down the road. And, you know, that, that was the wrong turn. That was we, That is not our exit. We need to turn around. You know, it's not even that we can find another route. We need to turn around and go right back to where we were and they get off that and you call, you know how convenient that all is. You have to go all the way around and they back up on and they head back the other direction. And as they're approaching the exit where they turned off, it's been like 25 minutes. There's like rescue vehicles all over the road. And as they're, you know, now in stop and go traffic and they come down onto that road uh, there's literally bodies under tarps. There, it was, it was, Lori would have to correct me. I think that there were more than 20 vehicles involved in the crash. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, how, how much of our victory in Christ is just the Lord saying, um, I'm going to keep you from being in that location spiritually. Yeah, it, it isn't a matter of like how strong we are spiritually. It's, you know, when we're truly drawn near to the Lord and submitting to the Lord and we're saying, my life is yours, do what you want. You know, how, how many times, okay, how about this? How many times on that same subject of vehicles and avoidance of stuff, how many times have you had somebody in recent history fly by you like over the line and as they go by, you can tell they're texting, right? Every one of you is shaking your head right now. Yes, I've experienced that. Okay. Um, how, how many times have you gone out to get in your car and you can't find your keys? And you've got a flat tire or a dead battery and, and we're losing our mind about this. Is, I'm so late. And, you know, maybe that person that God caused you to miss was completely across the line and you wouldn't have even been able to miss them. Okay, when we are saying my life belongs to the Lord, he can do with it what he wishes. He has our best intentions in mind. Draw near to the Lord. Let him protect you, right, from these environments, from these circumstances, from these relationships. This, this is the thing 
about being a child of God that is so necessary. Our submission and proximity to the Lord. Closeness to him. Draw near to God. That's your priority. That's what you need to do. Draw near to God. Stay close to him. Be with him. Abide in him. Uh, that's, that's where we need to be. Submit to God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. You know. Friendship with the world. Friendship with God. Back and forth. Appetites of the flesh. Appetites of the spirit. Look, singular of mind. That's actually more what holiness means than anything else. Singular of purpose. Right? Worshiping God. That you don't have... It's, it's always troubling to me as a Christian and as a pastor to find people who have uh, profoundly compartmentalized their life and they don't even realize it. You know, I live like a total heathen Monday through Saturday, you know, right up until about 1230 Saturday night, you know, and I go to bed because I got to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. God, God is compartmentalized into Sunday. And, and usually it's God is compartmentalized into Sunday morning and at church. <laughs> you know, no running in the house of God. Wait a minute. We are the house of God. So I'm not supposed to run. What do you, I mean, what are we telling you? Like, this is the only place that God is. Right? I mean, God is as much in the bar downtown as he is right here. That's confusing for some people. They're like, well, what are you saying? Like, so I can go to, I can go to church at the bar? No, no. If you're going to the bar, make no mistake, God is there and he's grieved. He's with you consistently, constantly. He, he permeates all things, man. We, we need to have this mindset where we are more and more cleansing ourselves from the things of the world, becoming singular of purpose. You know, I, I'm always, you know, conscious of, uh, you know, when, uh, like, I, I carry a knife with me all the time. I, I just, I have a, it's a Leatherman, a utility knife. And, you know, I'll dig around inside the grossest things with that. You know, I'll be working on something and just, you know. And as such, mm -hmm. uh, I will never eat food using my knife. You know what I'm saying? It's not for food. Why? Because it's been used on other vile things. I've done plumbing work with this knife. Therefore, it doesn't it doesn't get to ever cut my apple. Understand? <laughs> it, it, it is is you know it's not holy for for purposes such as that. We need to be that way, not double minded, not dual of purpose, singular in our existence and our um, our function and our thought. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy. To gloom, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This this mentality of if if you have a flippant attitude about sin, about judgment, about the coming of our Lord, about the hour in which we live, um, then your joy is probably inappropriate. This is what He's saying. It is. If you're living this double-minded, unholy life, declaring yourself to be a believer, you need to be crushed emotionally uh, to the point of humility. I think you've, you know, probably either met or been that person who, you know, living in the throes of sin was like, "Ooh, this is great," you know, you know, thought. Uh, for uh, the judgment of God and where we stand. My goodness, are we not in the final hours as you look around and the things that are going on? This is not the hour for inappropriate celebration. The, the, uh, the end of all things and uh, the culmination of God's plan is upon us. It is here, it is now. I'm just astonished 
uh, to see how rapidly things are happening. Not appropriate that that we would have. You know, if you're if you're celebrating Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas, you know, birth of children, weddings. The Lord isn't saying that we have to be people of you know gloom and doom, but you know, not having an appropriate understanding you know if you're living this way of a duplistic life earthly worldly you should be shocked with yourself you should you should be horrified with where you're at and, and consider the judgment of god humble yourself uh verse 11 do not speak evil of one another brethren he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? It's something that um, over the years I've learned a, a greater and greater control uh, of my own thought process. I, I tend to be, I know, you're not like this at all. I tend to be very dogmatic. You know, I, I tend to see things in black and white. And um, as such, um, especially in the past, I, I had a tendency. It's still there in my character. I have to guard against it all the time uh, to be extraordinarily judgmental. Just, you know, see uh, somebody whose doctrine isn't the same of mine, and, you know, call their, you know, salvation into question just because they have a different point of view um and i think that that's sort of just a human tendency you know we at our church we think this way those guys over there don't so clearly we're the christians they're not you know um maybe not maybe they're christians also and you're christians also it was astonishing to me to realize after years of thinking that way that i am right and they are also right. That was like news to me. Like, like, how could that possibly be? They have a different view, point of view than I do. You know, I, you know, simple things, you know, like, like baptism. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about foundational doctrinal stuff, but we, you know, we get different points of view and, and we get judgmental in the process, even to the degree of sin, you know. When someone else is doing exactly the same thing I do, man, when they do it, it's horrible. Uh, I mean, when I do it, it's very understandable, you know. You, you know, you have to consider all of the circumstances that are involved in my circumstance, not theirs. They're just dead wrong, you know. My situation is, you know, way more understandable. Just, you know, everything I've been through, everything that adds up into those circumstances, the grace of God that I live under, you know, but for them, you know, not so. I just, uh, we had a, a little girl that was very dogmatic. She was attending this church years ago. And uh, she she was five. She was five. And she, her sister... Uh, was a teenager, and uh, her sister called me up and told me about the argument she had had with her five-year-old sister earlier that day. Just it was humorous, but uh, her sister got increasingly angry uh, over the course of this argument, and finally blurts out, "If you don't stop right now and change your mind so that you agree with me, I'm going to send you straight to hell." You know, this is a five-year-old. Yes. Saying, you know, are we any more mature than that at times? You know, our position, our opinion on circumstances. Who, who are we? You know, we're servants of God. They're servants of God. I mean, I'll tell you straight out when a false teacher is a false teacher. Right? I'll tell you straight out when, uh, you know, someone is, you know, a liar, a hypocrite, someone that you shouldn't follow. There are things to be cautioned over. But but that judgmental attitude 
that we so often have, you know, have because, and again, I'm just speaking of myself. I haven't seen these things in your, in your life, in your conduct. I suspect, you know, you've wrestled with them to some degree because we're all human. Uh, but uh, you know this this nature this this uh, character there, there's one judge right the the scripture's telling us who are you to judge another man's servant right but by the word of his own master i'm paraphrasing you know he's going to stand or fall uh, so consider you know what the lord might be saying to you um so uh, you know just to go now verse 13 yeah, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year thereby and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Uh, boy, as the years pass, we, we get a, a more firm grip on that, do we not? You know, I mean, you have a sense of it. And even when you're quite young, you know, you, you know, someone passes away. They were there yesterday and they're gone today. My goodness, how fragile is life? You, know, you, you get that sense of things. But as the years passed, um, you know, that whole thing of, you know, we say it was just yesterday when such and such. I, I mean it. I think you identify with what I'm saying. I, I just got married yesterday. You know, it was 33 years ago. My children were born just yesterday. You know, I, I turn around and look at these people. They've grown and they have, you know, how often do we, you know, those of us that are parents, you know, we're talking about these kids. Well, they're 35 years old and have their own children. You know, these kids, they're not kids, they're adults. Life passes us so rapidly. You know, and uh, you know, every year that passes and you, you, you see, oh, so-and-so passed away. Well, they were... You know, seventy some odd years old, eighty some odd, years, and you realize, well, that's that's only twenty years from now for me. That's only, you know, what was I doing twenty years ago? Boy, twenty years passes fast. Right? Uh, Chuck Missler, uh, uh, he's he's with the Lord now. He's a pretty profound teacher uh, while he was with us, and um, he, you're familiar with. It. Uh, his, you know, his IQ was tested at uh, over 186. I think I, Einstein tested at like 165. But anyway, um, uh, he uh, he he made the observation that uh, you know when you're five years old, um, and someone says, "Well, next year at Christmas," you're like, "Next year at Christmas? That's one fifth of your life, right?" When you're 50 years old, I mean, you just put the Christmas tree away and you're getting it back out. It's, uh, right, well, because it's 150th of your life. Years become much smaller fractions. Every passing year goes by more and more rapidly. We're a vapor. Uh, th this whole process is really important. Uh, you know, the psalmist telling us, teach me to number my days. And we go, yeah, that's you know, right. I got to really, have you numbered your days? Have you looked at what the scripture says about how many years you have? Have you added those up in days? How many of them have you already consumed? How many do you have left? Right? Please do not go look up lifeclock.com. Do not. Because you can put all of your own variables in and it will tell you how much time you have left. Do you have a history in your family of heart disease? Do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? Do you have this? Have you suffered these? You know, and when you realize, like, I, I'm already dead. You know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy to consider. Um, you know, who are we on the grand scale of things to be, you know, speaking in arrogance? You know what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna invest, and we'll be, and then we'll. You don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. We really have no handle on this. And, and here, James is saying, this isn't just an abstract thought. There's a humility in this that's necessary for the life of the believer. 
uh, you know, we we do diminish. Listen to me in this. We diminish our testimony before the world when we make bold claims we're unable to fulfill. If we demonstrate a humility to the world, if I have plans, like he's about to say, God willing, I will this or I will that. God willing. Why? Because I do not know what the future holds. Isn't it always sort of like, Somebody makes great claims, we're buying this piece of property and we're going to build and it's going to be in the industry and we will be so wealthy. And then they don't even get, you know, the zoning approval for, you know, and everybody's left going like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Great claims. How much more does that occur within Christianity? Our great claims diminish the gospel. When people see us making bold, I'm going off and I'm going to do wonderful, amazing things. You know, just tag the end of it with God willing, because <laughs> you really don't know. And, and if it doesn't happen, then you can sit back and say, that apparently is not what the Lord wanted. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I hope you understand the bigger application of uh, you know, the humility that he's describing there. We'll close right there for this evening, but I just want to tag that last verse in a broader understanding. If you know to do good and you do not do it, to you it is sin. So, boy, you know, the, the ways that, you know, I know I should be doing something good and instead I, I take care of me. That's something I've had to let the Lord correct me on. Uh, to do the right things, to do the good things, to care for and uh, to minister. Um, I often share personal stories and um, real life examples, and I'm probably ripping myself off. Um, I don't uh, boasting, bragging. I don't, don't intend to do that with what I'm about to share or when I do these things, but. You know, my, my wife finds out um, a little more than a week ago, uh, her dad's in the hospital and uh, going to have to have bypass surgery and uh, don't know if he's going to survive. So um, he has survived, um, but um, uh, in the moment, our biggest concern is Alan doesn't know the Lord. And he's all the way down in Georgia. And phone calls only cover so much, you know. And I spent a few minutes in prayer. And the Lord just, I don't hear, I have never heard the voice of God. I've never heard an audible voice. But you know what I mean when I say you hear in your heart or in your mind the Lord saying something to you very clear. And um, I prayed for just a few minutes and the Lord said, you need to go. You need to go to Georgia right now. And and it was literally a right now thing. Uh, like within the next hour, you need to be on the road. And uh, so I went to Lori and said, hey, you know, Lord's laid it on my heart. Um, we need we need to go to Georgia. And uh, just so you understand, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, we don't we don't have the ability to just get on a plane and fly down there. It's, it's a matter of driving, right? You know, like you need to go. And that means like a whole bunch of other plans just evaporated just like that, you know, to, as far as, you know, finances and things. So we're going to Georgia. Hey, guess what? We're going to Georgia. And uh, so, um, you know, knowing to do good, right? This is going to bless my wife. This is going to, you know, I, I need to have that face-to-face -face conversation with this man one more time. Um uh, whether you're aware of it or not, Lori's um, uh, one-quarter Native American. Her grandfather was uh, pure-blooded Native American, uh, so her, her dad is half. 
Native American, and as such, uh, uh, he is, uh, he was, his age doesn't allow him to do the work now, but he has been a shaman in the Seneca tribe uh, for years, recognized by the UN representing the Seneca tribe. Um, so there's been some interesting conversations uh, about faith and religion and the Lord and Christianity over the years. And uh, we've just, you know, some of them are heated, but we've we've just been there to be genuine and to share and then to demonstrate that with our lives, with our marriage and the struggles we've been through. So um, we we drive to Georgia and we pr- we pray our way to Georgia, two, two day uh, drive down there. And uh, we get there and um, within a matter of hours, uh, Alan is saying, uh, would you be willing to baptize me? And I'm saying like, wait a minute, like per conversations we've had in the past, where is your faith? Like, how is it that you come to say, I want to be baptized? Vietnam vet, two tours, uh, and through some really bad stuff. Um, Hardworking guy, construction worker, uh, contractor, you know, builder. And um, he says, uh, almost two years ago, he's, this is his confession. Almost two years ago, I started having these um, overwhelming nightmares. And, uh, you know, he did all of his practices to deliver himself from those nightmares you know, dream catchers, and I mean, I'm not even being smug about it, literally, like, how do I deliver myself, how does my faith, and uh, he came to a point where he called out to Jesus, and uh, the dream was gone instantly, and so um, when he had it again later, because at work, he called out to Jesus, and went away, and so he started praying that Jesus would deliver him from these dreams, and they went away. And he put his faith, his words, he put his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Based upon past life experiences and our testimony to him, he'd already given his life to Jesus Christ. So when we arrive there, he's just saying, I know and understand that I should be, if I'm a believer, I should be baptized. And so, you know, he's all got tubes and hooked up and we can't dunk him in water. So we put out a whole bunch of towels and, you know, poured water over him and prayed and read the scripture. And he made confessions of faith. And, uh, you know, Alan Chapney's born again. You know, heard the Lord say, you got to go. And I'll tell you. You know, it gave him a great assurance. That was a blessing to be able to share with him from the scripture and say, no, look, you don't have to question whether you're saved, right? Because it isn't about what you've done or what you can do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done and is doing. He has saved you, right? So you are saved. Give him all the assurances. Take him through John. Show him you have the assurance of eternal life. But more than anything, my wife had the assurance that regardless of how this turns out, she's going to spend eternity with her dad. Right? You know, sometimes uh, we go into situations and if you know to do good, you start weighing out like, like, how is this going to affect me? And what do I need to do? And how do I, sometimes you just need to obey what that voice is telling you to do and, and let the Lord uh, take care of the rest in the process. So, you know, I, I guess I was going to share something else, but uh, um, well, I'll just share it very carefully. So, um, you know, you kind of like question, this guy's having open heart surgery. Like how sincere is this? You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, I had conversations with him about other people's salvation and he made the statement of, I don't know if they're saved. 
And I'm asking, like, why do you think that? And he said, I, I don't see any evidence in their life that they have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. When, when a man is making that type of honest confession, what he's saying is, I understand what it means to, to be sincere in my own confession of faith. Are they saved? You know, he doesn't throw a blanket of easy salvation over them. He says, I don't, I don't know if they are. I, I can't see any evidence in their life that they are. Which means he understands there needs to be evidence in my life. It's remarkable what the Lord does if, if we will obey him. You know, and again, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's helpful to you as an example. But, uh, you know, take it to heart that sometimes the Lord will ask of you, you know, require of you that you do things. And uh, if, if we start weighing it out from how does this affect me, you know, wh where is my selfishness in these circumstances? It's much better to just set it aside. That's an invaluable experience. Like no amount of time and energy or anything. Like I, I, I would do twice as much. To have had that experience with that man and my wife, to have had, and and for him to have had that experience with his daughter, I mean, how do you, how do you ever? You can't put a value on that. Yeah. So you know, if you know to do good and you don't understand, you're ripping yourself off very often in the process. Uh, let the Lord work in you and uh, through you. Amen. Amen. So. Um, We'll try to close it out next week. We get uh, got chapter five left, so we'll end right there for this evening. We'll stand and we'll pray. Will you stand with me? Father God, we are grateful for you and your work and your Holy Spirit, your word and the way that you have touched us and led us and guided us to this moment. Lord, um, Selfishly, I lift up Alan and his wife Pam to you and ask that you'd continue to work in their hearts and minds, life and circumstance. Heal that, continue to heal that man. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us and guide us in the circumstances that you have before us. Orchestrate our circumstances. Put us in the places and in the conversations you want us to be. Help us to open our mouths and to share your kingdom with people, to lead them into your kingdom. Lord, that we would be your ministers, your servants, your ambassadors, representatives. Come quickly. Accomplish your will in our lives and in the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.